Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to The Catch with John Fisher on Blog Talk Radio, connecting life to faith. To get it together, trying to help the fellow man. Hoping we can make it better. Do you really think we can? Well, welcome everybody to the catch on Blog Talk Radio and uh, to the to the half hour where we like to talk about life and uh, and faith and how how they connect up and uh, how how does that what makes that real and uh, what does our faith look like in the real world in in which we live and so often uh, our faith is only talked about and acted out in uh, in in the context where you would expect it like in church or at a christian event we don't think a lot about sanctifying all of life we don't think a lot about how our faith relates to everything that we do and here at the catch that's very important to us that's what we like to discover and so we particularly like to have guests who uh, who do that and who are taking their faith and relating it to the culture around them. And uh, our guest tonight is uh, very, very good at that, as a matter of fact. And uh, he's made a career of connecting real life uh, to real faith through his music Um, and uh, we have had uh, Bob Bennett on our show before and uh, so we love to have him back because uh, there's so real there's really so much to talk about in relationship to art and to culture and to uh, creativity and expression and what are we doing and and uh, you know what's going on in the Christian world, and so uh, this is a this is going to be a really good half hour. So uh, I I know you'll I know you'll be enriched by listening to this brother. He he thinks he's 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 very thoughtful, and his music and his lyrics uh, show that out. So um, this will be fun. Uh, please welcome to uh, Blog Talk Radio. Uh, uh, our guest, Bob Bennett. Welcome, Bob. Thank you, John. Good to be back uh, talking with you, my friend. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Bob, for some reason, uh, Jesus' music and the Jesus movement uh, have been popping up all over the place recently. Uh, and I don't know, maybe that's because it's kind of a basically it is a 50, 50 years ago was 1971 and I, that was definitely right dead center in what I would call the Jesus uh, movement 
and uh, I was into my second album by then, and uh, and there were hippies in the street, and we were doing concerts, and yeah, things were things were happening. Um, I'd love to chat about that right now, and um, I'd love to uh, perhaps have you talk a little bit about where were you and during that time and um, what, uh, you know, how, what, what is the, how did the Jesus movement relate to you? I know you were younger, but I bet you, you came upon it at some point. So talk to us a little bit about your beginnings. Well, I mean, I, at the time, strictly in 1971, I was still in high school and, and, um, there was very much a um, in my own in my own heart and my own mind there was the sort of the quintessential separation of church and state, if you will. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't have much to do with religion. I had had checked out of my boyhood Catholicism pretty seriously by that point, even though I still lived at home at least for a couple more years, and um, and it wasn't too much on my mind at all. Um, and so I, I, I'm sure that I caught glimpses of it somewhere, but my most my most powerful memories of of, of and, and connection to what we would call perhaps like Jesus music that that beginning didn't happen until a few years later um, mm-hmm. in 1977 when I was 22 years old because mm. w- by the time we get six years down the road from the the stuff that you guys were pioneering back in that day, um, much of what you had done had had already been done. The the road had been, uh, you know, uh, blazed, yeah. and 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 albums had been made, music had been written, and and people were were uh, you know already celebrating the fact that um, that there was a musical language related to a life and the faith that we, that we could understand that we could relate to my, my, um, now before I knew anything about church or church culture or as it existed back then in the non-denominational churches and, and all that, um, you know, I, I went to a couple concerts at, at, we, we, I lovingly call it the mothership. At, uh, at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, where so much uh-huh. was going on and so much was birthed. Um, by the time I came on the scene, um, there was no longer a small building or a, or a, or a tent on the lawn. Oh, yeah. um, you know, the, the stuff of legend almost. Mm-hmm. But there was a big, huge church building and, and people were gathering, uh, you know, several a thousand people were gathering on Saturday nights and going to concerts to, uh, to hear this, this Jesus music. And to hear the gospel, and so I had caught wind of this and started to attend um, those. And and uh, and by then I was just at the very very beginning of my faith. I had been reading Good News for Modern Man and and going through this this uh, transformation where, um, you know, T Bone Burnett has a wonderful line about this that that I don't think many, very many people have heard or remember. Um, back when he was on the radar of Christian music and so forth in the in the like late seventies, early eighties, and uh-huh. I think somebody at, at a Christian magazine asked him, "What's your ministry?" 
And his answer to this very, very typical question was to say, my ministry is to make doubters out of unbelievers. And that's what was happening to me. When I picked up good news from modern man, started to read the New Testament again, two things happened. I, I had sort of a total deja vu experience with all of these stories about Jesus because those were echoes of my Catholic boyhood, uh, both in mass and in, and in weekend catechism when I was a kid. But also, even though I believed in God in a very general arm's length, you know, like made him in my image kind of a thing, even though I had that belief, I was really estranged from anything that you could call biblical or, or, uh, or any type of commitment to faith. And, and as I began to read the New Testament again, the pillars of my unbelief were starting to crumble, kind of. Yeah. I, I, I was kind of like saying, hey, wait just a minute. I may, there may be something more here than I first saw. And so, um, you know, my conclusion that my problem with religion wasn't Jesus it was it was the folly of church people and the weirdness of humans that had me confused and upset and and not right. wanting to have anything to do with it. And even at that young, unsophisticated age, <laughs> um, as that began to dawn on me, it helped helped me to draw some important conclusions about reassessing Jesus and my and my relationship to him. And the people that were on that stage singing we're basically making soundtrack music for that awareness, for that transition, for that um, hmm. seismic shift in my own life. Wow. Do you, were you doing music at that time? Yes, I was very much, uh, all these years later, my, my, uh, my little line for that is that I really wanted to be Jackson Brown Jr., but um, but but my legacy in music started out next to the family turntable, um, listening to to folk music. It was, and this is stuff now that your grand, you know, if anybody's got really old grandparents, they would know all this music. Uh-huh. It was like the Kingston Trio and the Limelighters, the Weavers, right. Peter Paul and Mary, all of those groups pre Beatles. All of that stuff was was uh, very much on my radar. Then the Beatles came and changed everything. But then um, the age of the singer-songwriter kind of cropped up, and artists that were um, not only making records, but they were also writing their own songs. And again, that was Beatles and Simon and Garfunkel, James Taylor, Joni Mitchell, people like that, Dan Fogelberg. Um, They had a huge, huge impact on me. I started playing guitar when I was 10 years old, so I was not only oriented toward music as a listener, even when I was a kid, but eventually I became pointed at music like, I want to do that. I want to do what they're doing somehow. So I wanted mm-hmm. to be Jackson Brown Jr. That did not work out for me very well. Um, mm-hmm. I, wrote the, uh, I wrote my songs as best I could, a lot of whiny, unrequited love songs and all kinds of sappy stuff that I've got tapes of that no one will probably ever hear. Um, <laughs> It was some of it was very dismal and very high school, but um, but that was you know so you know again when I came up upon this these crazy Jesus people making this music that I could understand and appreciate it was it was a big surprise it was definitely a they definitely snuck me through the side door so to speak um, mm. by that music. I'm fascinated by that T-Bone Burnett 
comment making doubters out of unbelievers what what do you think uh what do you think he means by that well i think it's i you know again i think it's uh, you know when we think about saying i want to make believers um i think that sometimes we um we ignore the transition step <laughs> that sometimes needs oh, okay. to happen when people come to faith in other words um, before they can even wrestle with the gospel, uh, sometimes there's a debriefing process where you talk about what the gospel is and, and perhaps more importantly what it's not. Because my my sense is that um, is that we often have impediments to belief and to c- considering the gospel, um, and we we've got a we, perhaps we've got a back pocket full of reasons and excuses. Well, sometimes that that back pocket of reasons and excuses to not engage have have are, are full of things that the church handed them, that religious people handed them, and and we we've, we've shot ourselves in the foot. So I think it's I think we need to be patient with people. We not not be so quick to shake the dust off our feet and say, well, they're heathens, and that, you know that's how that goes. And um, I think that's nonsense. I think we need to hang out with people and hear what they're saying. And to recognize that what we're really after is to sow seeds that will help them to question, you know, their assumptions mm. up to that point. And then, mm. you know, then I think the Lord can do the deep work of, of showing them what's what once you're, once you're open to the fact that I may not have this all as wired as I think I did. Okay. Okay. So being a doubter um, is closer than being an unbeliever. Is that what yeah, we're saying? I, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I mean, I think, yes. I think if you're, if you're beginning to sort of say, hey, wait just a minute, I may, I may not have my, I, I'm an unbeliever and I'm, I'm skeptical of religion and all that, but wait a minute, maybe there's something I haven't seen or there's, I never considered Jesus in this light or I never considered that this is what the New Testament teaches and therefore it's time to maybe do a little reassessing. And I think it, Sometimes I think we can do people a favor if we can help them in that process and then give them, give them time to get it done. You know, we can't get instantaneous everything like we want. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. We could learn a lot just from that. Um, uh, tell me, so when, when did you actually get the vision to start writing music about your own faith. Obviously, your your own faith was having to grow at the same time this was happening. Uh, and uh, when yeah, did that this, come together for you? This was absolutely on the job, you know, training and creativity and so forth. <laughs> um, uh, it was early, uh, you know, I sort of, uh, if I was going to, if I was going to assign a date, to my uh, conversion, it would probably be uh, March 24th, 1977, a few days after my 22nd birthday. And I immediately started writing songs about what was going on and, and not really knowing what I was doing. I, I didn't know any rules or, or any protocols or anything like that. I just started writing. And the first song that I wrote was a song about the Trinity. You know, not, that's not too hard to write about, is it? <laughs> so, I wrote, so I wrote this little song. Uh, called Spiritual Equation, and the hook of the song is, 
it's a spiritual equation where three equals one is right. And that was the hook of the song. Huh. And, um, and I wrote that and sang it. And then I started writing other, other songs about what was happening to me. And, um, and, and many of those songs, you know, wound up on my first album that eventually came out in 1979. 79. Well, who, who were you singing for at that point? Where, how did that develop? Well, um, you know, I, I had tried to sing in folk clubs and coffee houses and stuff like that as best I could. Um, of course, when those songs started being written and I started hanging around in church circles, then it would be, you know, little home Bible studies and gatherings. And and uh, it was, you know, pretty small scale stuff. Um, eventually, uh, you know, I had been attending the Saturday night concerts at Calvary Chapel and yeah. And um and that was such a huge influence on me. And about six months after, you know, I was I had walked through the door so to speak and said, Hey, I think I need to I think I need to follow Jesus, I think I need to be a Christian, whatever that might mean for me. Um, about six months down the road I was actually singing on a Saturday night down at, at, at uh mm. at Calvary. Mm. So so that was kind of a huge deal. And um, it was really, really great. And, and everybody was very, very nice to me, um, you know, given the fact that I was such a newbie. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So then your first album comes out in 79, uh, did you say? Yes, that's right. Yep. And that was, you know, I mean, I'd wanted to make a record my whole life, never in a million years that I think it would be under those circumstances and in that way. Yeah. But um, it, it was just such a cool, I mean, I don't know what your experience was like, but it was, it was, it was like a pinch mm-hmm. me moment. Like I'm in a studio, I'm right. working with great musicians. Everybody's pointed in my direction musically. And, um, you know, I mean, yes, I'm sure there was a wonderful bit of ego fulfillment happening on at the same time. You know, I always, when I'm talking to young artists who are in the orbit of the church, I always remind them, I said, look, no one, no one really gets in this to be anonymous. I mean, you don't, you don't really stand up on a stage and sing songs and say, I'd rather be in my bedroom singing by myself. Oh, why, oh, why do I have to be in public? Um, there's certainly a part of our temperament and a part of our desires that wants that to happen. It's just a question of how we handle that, that public aspect or that performance aspect of what we do. But um, so, you know, I'm in a recording studio. It's like, I'm making a record now. But, <laughs> but also I, I just wanted to do some good. And, um, and I, you know, I was singing for the brethren initially. And, um, and that's been the case all along. And I, I can, I can talk a little bit about it. It took me, it took me some time to figure out that singing for church people was not a, a second-class citizenship artistically. At hmm. first, I thought, hey, I, I need to be big enough to make it in the real world. I need, I need to get outside the church, and I need to go play music. And until then, I'm just kind of a, uh, you know, I'm just singing for a small clubhouse of people, and they only like me because I'm one of them. And uh, hmm. it took me a while to say, you know, Bennett, you really have this all backwards here. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. people are people. Uh, people need music. People need encouragement. 
and uh, and you're going to penalize the audience that you're in front of just because they're in a pointy building with with uh, hymnals and Bibles in the front of the you know in the pews and and uh, and offering baskets in the back and you're going to you're going to somehow belittle or diminish how good it is to sing for people in that situation because you've got some idealized view of what it means to be a real artiste in the, in the culture Ah. at large. And, Mm -hmm. um, and, and that was, that was a big lesson for me to learn, you know? Mm. Mm. Well, um, well, that makes sense because uh, I've always thought of your music as being uh, actually much, much more, uh, astute or artistic than most of the stuff, including Christian stuff and non-Christian stuff. I mean, I, I just, uh, uh, I, I never thought of you as a, as a pop artist. You know, you, you, uh, you, you have a real style to the way you play guitar and the way you craft a song. It's, uh, it's, truly uh, a truly a piece of art and i guess well, thank you i i would wonder do people notice that you know um and uh, uh you know, what's I, your what, what's your reaction to that i hope so um i hope that that people appreciate that aspect of it um because i try real hard to to make it count um you know i think you know, as you've alluded to, the the storytelling aspect of music is is something that, of course, interests me quite a bit. I mean, mm-hmm. I think in addition to how great all those records sounded that we listened to coming up, and the you know the seismic uh, 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 impact of the Beatles and all that. Yes, uh, this far down the line, there's some nostalgia there. There's some. This has been the soundtrack of my life, but also it's because the stories hold up really, really well. And when we hear those songs, it doesn't matter how many thousands of times we've heard them, um, they can still speak to us. They can still inform us. So when, you know, when uh, McCartney writes about Eleanor Rigby in the church, uh, you know, and she's alone and, and, and the Father McKenzie and the characters and all that, that's mm-hmm. a story that we can still relate to all these years later despite the fact that it's the Beatles and long hair and culture mm-hmm. and, and, and all the other things that we can correctly say about that phenomenon, at the end of the day, what wins you is, is a, a good story well told. Not only well told in terms of the song itself, but then the performance and the recording and, and, and all of that. So I, I have a, a, a keen interest as a, before I was ever a, a music maker or a, you know, I was the kid next to the turntable listening to to the soundtrack of, of life on the turntable. Hmm. And um and I've never lost my my appreciation for uh, a really, really well written song. Um my, my my quip about that is that unless you're writing haiku poetry, um song lyrics are probably the most concise form of of, of verbal communication you can think of. Because you mm. sort of got to get in and get out, you got to get the job done, <laughs> and um, and I appreciate I appreciate that part of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, why do you 
you write a lot of you mentioned story songs and I know you you write a lot of them why why do you like stories well I think if you if you if you've got any talent to tell them and you've got a good story to tell um, people hopefully will find a place for themselves in the work that you're doing or, or at least be able to relate to, uh, you know, uh, some of what's going on in a story, the characters of a story. Um, I, I, I think that I think you can't help, but, but relate to a well-told story in that amount. I'm, I'm sorry, in that, in that respect. Um, I, you can't watch It's a Wonderful Life without saying, not only is this a fabulous movie, but, but what about me? What, 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 if I had, what if I was George Bailey and, and I ceased to exist and all the people around me and, 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 the, and the, how people act in that story? There's the, mm-hmm. there's the villains and there's the eccentrics and there's all the people in it. And um, so, you know, I, I, you know again, I, I think I just try to apply to my work what I appreciate so much as a listener and as a reader and as a watcher, you know. Hmm. That's cool. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a real hard question right now and just popped into my mind. And that would be, do you think you would have a career in music? Well, let's, let's, let's say, uh, uh, years ago, Christian music just kind of disappeared in a black hole somewhere. Right. Um, do you think you'd have a career in music without Christian music? You know, I. This is going to sound really cynical to say, but probably not. Um, I, I mean, I think I, I might have a career behind the scenes, where I would be on staff at a publishing company, maybe writing songs for other people. But um, I mean, let's be brutally honest here. I'm I'm a I've I've been a big huge guy my whole life. I'm not anybody's idea of a poster child for physical attractiveness, or I don't have I don't have that Van Morrison mystique, or you know that 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 special X factor that that some of the greatest artists seem to have that exists apart from even apart from their music. Um, so I think that I, I, I don't know that, that I would be able to, to trade in, in the coin of the realm, um, you know, outside of that. Now, maybe – now, I think folk music as a genre is mm-hmm. a little more forgiving about that sort of stuff. And you can, you can have plenty of people who are not the most attractive and the most winsome in that way, and yet people still revere what they do and how they do it. So maybe right. there might have been a door open in that regard. But yeah, I, I bet there would have. I, mm-hmm. I, but I think I, I think um, I think the glass was kind of half full for me, John. I think, um, you know, it, it, in one sense we might say that making art in the orbit of the church at that time was kind of the path of least resistance to get acceptance, and we and we could cynically talk about that, but we could also talk about the fact. That that people kind of wanted you to do well before you ever got up there, 
and and people accepted you as as hey you're one of our own and and um and that's something that I try never to squander um uh in when I go out to play I try not to say um you know all I need to do is just be good enough for church <laughs> or be good <laughs> enough for religious expression yeah. um yeah. I I, I want to be I want to be the best that I can be, and I, I and I. To me, it, whether it's a small concert with thirty people, or it's a it's a large theater full of you know three thousand people, to me it's all Carnegie Hall. It's all everybody gets my best that night um, because I, I always want them to get the best I'm capable of, um, no matter what the situation might be. Yeah, I agree with you. I I think Christian music has, in a sense, made it possible for a lot of people who might not have had a chance otherwise, um, because there are other elements involved than just just the music. And and, um, and the cre- and the creativity bar is, you know, all of a sudden, uh, you know, I'm out there trying to to make it and get in, into the, the music business as it existed back then. And then all the people that I, that I loved and idolized at a certain point were, were, you know, I have to convince a record executive, why should I spend a bunch of money and hire you to make records when I can, when I can sign so-and-so or, you know, and, and in the, in the cold light of day, you know, they might, they might've been right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Bob, you, you had uh, in the last few years, very interesting experience of uh, uh, doing your music at a college. I believe it was Judson college. I know about this because I've, Mm -hmm. I've, I've spoken there a number of times and uh, I know Warren, Warren Anderson uh, the the uh, music director there, and uh, I thought it was fascinating that uh, he put a concert together featuring your songs and a choir, a uh, student choir, and I believe an orchestra, correct me if I'm wrong, and uh, mm-hmm. you guys did a concert and I think a recording. Uh, t- t- tell me a well, little, just a little bit about that. It's actually a two-part story in that regard. What What happened is in late 2014, he had me come to the university and play a Christmas concert. And that did involve the student choir and a whole orchestra. So there were like orchestra charts done of my songs and stuff. It was really cool. I'd never done anything like that ever. Um, But that went so well. And I had such so much fun doing it that a couple of years down the line, um, they were trying to prepare a uh, homecoming program. And Warren contacted me and said, what if we bring you in? And what we'll do is that we'll, we'll not only have the current student choir, but we'll bring back alumni from across the years and combine them into one big unit of past and present. And, um, and we'll do a concert. So that's what they did. They, they, uh, we came up with a set list. The choir and various, you know, uh, alumni folks were scattered around the country and they were all rehearsing with my records with <laughs> charts that he had made up on like, here's where you sing with Bob and, and what <laughs> you do. And so all of these rehearsals were going on. 
And then I flew to Chicagoland, and, and, and Judson is in Elgin right outside Chicago, and we did one huge rehearsal on a Saturday afternoon. Then wow. we did one recorded performance, only one, that Saturday night, and that one recorded performance became the album. Huh. It was just it was a one take deal. Now we wow. had a really candy guy behind the scenes to edit and and make sure that we you know that all our uh, I's were dotted and T's were crossed in terms of the performances and the songs and stuff. And um, you know just like making sausage, I'm not quite sure what he did behind the scenes. Uh, you know I don't know how much auto tune he had to use on here. You know anything like that? I, I don't I don't quite know. But 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 pretty much. What's on the record is is a document of what we did that night, wow. and I can't I can't tell you what how much fun it was oh, to be man. in that environment and to uh, yeah. and have the enthusiasm of all those uh, all those people. Oh, I bet. Now, m- my my reason for actually asking this is because uh, you know those are primarily. Uh, younger people who maybe I assume might not have been familiar with your music be previous <laughs> yeah. prior to it. And, uh, and I, I'm, I'd be curious what some of the comments are. Do you think, you know, many of them are probably millennials or somewhere near there. And you know, what, what do they think of your, of your music? What are some of the comments you got back? They were cordial enough to treat me very, very well. So, I'm not I'm not sure what the answer would be if you asked them and I wasn't listening. <laughs> but <laughs> but they were very they were very nice to me and very encouraging. And um and I think they even if I wasn't quite their musical cup of tea, um they were were all in in terms of participation. And I think as as we've alluded to earlier in our discussion today, um, I think the storytelling aspect of it was something where I had an entree into their, into, into that world. Um, mm. um, it's, you know, John, it's an interesting thing to me. I have to, I, I laugh about this sometimes and I shake my head because, you know, when I was coming up, I remember the whole thing was, and this all sounds really quaint and kind of stupid now all these years later, but we were serious as a heart attack during the Woodstock era. It's like, our parents wrecked the world. You can't trust a man. Don't trust anybody over 30. You know, we really, we really were, were, were just egotistical enough to think that the world had been totally screwed up and we were going to fix it. Thank you very much. Of course, now you get 30 or 40 years down the line and we're, we're on the other side of that equation now. Yeah. We're, we're, we're the people who wrecked the world and everybody was coming up saying, why did you do that or not do that? You know, <laughs> what do you have to say for yourself? if they even care <laughs> what we might have to say for ourselves. So we who invented or at least popularized the youth obsessed culture now sit on the other end of that equation. And um, so the, the fact that we are so segregated age wise in our culture, hmm. what happened that one night for me is that we were all just, fellow believers in humans it, mm. it, it was it was exhilarating to be in the room with all those young people but what we were connecting with we we weren't we weren't age specific we weren't just dialed into to our thing our proprietary thing 
but there was this cross pollination across the years of connection mm-hmm. and artistry. And it was just, it was really a reminder that, you know, at its best that can really happen. Wow. Wow. That is beautiful. What, what if some of our listeners might want to, might want to, uh, come by that, uh, that recording and, and any of your other work, where, where would they find it? Well, um, these days, um, I, I still sell, you know, <laughs> I don't even manufacture CDs anymore. They're so yeah. not in vogue anymore, but, um, I sell CDs on my, on my little website and uh, sometimes they're me and a CD burner and a Sharpie and a, and a mailbox. Um, sometimes that's what I'm shipping out to people, but, but they can go to bobbennett.com and I've got several CDs. Um, and then also, uh, some downloads of things, but, but truthfully, the way people are consuming things now, probably the best answer to your question is, is you can find stuff on the streaming services, Spotify, Apple music, Amazon HD. And, and to be honest, those are the places that I listen to music now most, um, Mm -hmm. there's tons of stuff on YouTube not only reproductions of the studio recordings, but there's uh, lots of videos down over the years from various sources and varying degrees of quality, technically and otherwise, performance-wise. Uh, there are lots of stuff on YouTube as well. So if you if you want to find me, you can find me, and it's not going to cost you an arm and a leg to get that done. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, Bob Bennett, uh dot com b-e-n-n-e-t-t is that correct that is correct okay beautiful and then that particular would we be able to find that uh that recording uh with yes, the choir it's, and everything? it's called yep it's called live at judson university oh, and okay. um and uh, we had we had a wonderful time doing it and so right. uh i think folks will really enjoy it i i i i uh you know, again, I just had the time of my life doing it. Live at Judson University. Okay. Well, Bob, and then finally, uh, you're doing your music every week on Facebook. Tell us about that. Tide hit in early March when when it was going to be, you know, two weeks to slow the spread and all the stuff that we thought was going to happen. Um, I, I had already been dabbling with live streaming. And uh, for me, the, the, the platform that, w- that w- initially did that the best, and I think still does it pretty well, is Facebook. And so I started um, one – it was actually my 65th birthday on a Saturday night. I sat down in front of my Mac, and I live-streamed on Facebook for three hours and 45 minutes straight without getting up. Now, I don't <laughs> want to be too specific here, but as a middle-aged man – Three hours and 45 minutes without getting up. Let's just let me tell you what a miracle that is. And, um, and I sang and ha- hung out and read the comments that were scrolling by and took song requests, answered questions. Um, you know, so that morphed into me doing this every week. Um, as we talk today, um, this upcoming weekend will be episode number 83 um, wow. of uh, 83 Weeks. And it's just been a joy. I had no idea that this could be something I could do. So even though I'm, I'm now starting to step out and do live concerts again and get out there in, in the larger world, 
but the uh, the online thing is is um, been a real blessing, and I think hopefully as long as I'm able to do it, it'll still be sort of a, a part of my menu now. <laughs> when do you uh, okay? So what when do you do this, Bob? We we sometimes shift the day and time, but the most typical time and day is Saturday is at 5 p.m. in California. Um, okay, and so it's I'm easy to find, and it's that's most often we go for an hour and a half starting at uh, 5 o'clock in the uh, uh, early evening here in California. Okay. And where do they find you? Just uh, you, can, you can actually just get into the search window, I think, at Facebook and find me there. I've got a couple different pages. Okay. Uh, one is Bob Bennett Music. The other one is Bob Bennett Music Page. How creative. And, mm-hmm. uh, it's, but, you, but you can find me. And, um, okay. And it's easy to join. You can click a you can click a button and get a reminder, and um, and then you just click on and join us. Cool. All right. Well, Bob, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure to talk with you again, and uh, I just appreciate your work. Uh, I appreciate that you've stuck to who you are and your artistry, uh, regardless of uh, you know your career or you know whether anybody thought you wrote a hit song or i can remember (laughs) those days so uh uh just thank you because i think uh i think that's a great it's a great tribute to uh to our worth and to god's creativity that he gives each one of us um free to express who we are and uh not be pushed in a mold to be somebody else. So I, I appreciate well, always that, appreciate that about you. Very kind of you to say, and, and you did not ask me to do this, but, but let me also turn that back around and tell you that, um, I, you know, I, I actually worked in a record store here in Southern California uh, before I got into music full time. And I actually sold Christian music albums in this secular record store and you were one of the artists that I first heard. And, yeah. um, you know, again, you guys were out there pioneering and doing things that taught me that this could be an artistic possibility for me, wow. um, that it was okay for me to be that guy and that, um, and that, and, uh, that this type of expression and artistry was possible and useful and, and a blessing. And so, you know, I write back at you because uh, without yeah. you – Inventing this genre, I wouldn't have any, had any path to follow. Mm. Mm. Well, that's beautiful. Well, Bob, thank you so much, and uh, you know, hang in there, and and uh, we will uh, we'll have you again sometime. I'm sure. This thank is... you, John. Love to Marty. I really appreciate talking with you. Okay. Thank you. Good night. All right. Bye bye. Well, there you go, folks. How was that? What a delightful conversation and a delightful time with Bob. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Go online and find his music and enjoy it. It's beautiful. God bless you. Thanks for joining us tonight. We'll see you next week.